0: you might have about Brown Corners. Uh, if you would uh, join me in your copy of God's Word in Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3. And uh, listen, I know that the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, uh, the, the last couple of weeks' messages have been pretty harsh. We talked about the wickedness of the heart of uh, mankind a couple weeks ago. Uh, last week, Hunter talked about the idolatrous heart, and and just said some pretty challenging and tough things about the, the, the ways in which our hearts are drawn to other gods. And, uh, and so this week, is, is we, we're, we're sort of making the pendulum swift toor, uh, shift towards the good news. Because there is good news in Jeremiah. Though he has much that is harsh to say, much that is difficult to hear, he does bring good news. And so we're going to begin uh, making that shift here this week. As we talk about the repentant heart Um, In fact, since since we've had a lot of difficult things to say I I thought I'd start off with a lighthearted story I I read about a young man uh, named John Who had received a parrot as a gift Uh, The parrot, however, had a bad attitude And even worse vocabulary Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude It was obnoxious It was laced with profanity You couldn't bring any any women or children Anywhere near this, this parrot John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by constantly saying polite words, playing good music, and anything else he could do to try to clean up this bird's vocabulary. Well, finally John was fed up, and he yelled at the parrot. Well, the parrot yelled back, and uh, John shook the parrot. The parrot got angrier and even more crass and profane. And so finally, in desperation, John uh, threw up his hands. He grabbed the bird and threw him in the freezer and slammed the door shut behind the parrot. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed, and then suddenly there was total silence. Not a peep was heard for over a minute, fearing that he had hurt or maybe even killed the parrot. John finally opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out into John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I am sincerely remorseful for my Inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned by the bird's change in attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot what made such a dramatic turn in his behavior, the bird then asked, May I ask what the turkey did? Sometimes God has to use severe or uh, extreme measures to get our attention. The people of Israel, the people of Judah, were continuing to wander from God, and God had sent prophet after prophet and message after message warning them, and Jeremiah is just one in a list of men who had come and proclaimed this warning to the people of God. And so we're going to pick up the story in chapter 3 here. This is early in Jeremiah's ministry. Remember we said the first week that Jeremiah is not a chronological book, and hopefully the handout that we've been giving you, there's that timeline in there, uh, it sort of helps place the different chapters uh, uh, chronologically in the the course of history, and it will hopefully help make a little bit more sense of the book. But here in chapter 3, it's early in the book and early in the ministry. And this is what he says in uh, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Says, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, After she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God, and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree. You have not obeyed the you've not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you've multiplied and been fruitful in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north and to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. I said, how would I set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations? And I thought you would call me my father and and would not turn from following me. Surely a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me. O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A a voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons. I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly, the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But from our youth, the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and and let our dishonor cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth, even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and in justice and in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Israel. Lest my wrath go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it, because of the evil of your deeds. This section, we find God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah very poignant and, and very even graphic terminology about the rebellion that took place, first with Israel and then with Judah. In fact, the beginning of the passage we read said, he, he says, listen, Judah, you guys have been even worse than Israel. Now, he, I don't think he's speaking literally, because if you look at the his, two histories side by side, the northern kingdom, they, like we said the first week, they had nobody following after God. They were just Full on after idolatry. Um, and so that's why they were punished first. I think why he says this is because Judah had a chance to learn from Israel's mistake. They had already been taken, cap- been taken captive at this point by Assyria. They had a chance to watch, observe, and learn. You know, uh, uh, if you're a younger sibling in your family, uh, chances are, hopefully, anyways, that you spend some time watching your older siblings make the mistakes. Learn some things the hard way, and hopefully you chose to take the easy route. You you learned a little bit about what really ticks mom and dad off and things not to do and played a little wiser. Maybe. I don't know. Judah did not do that. They had a chance to learn from the northern kingdom, Israel, and they did not. And so God says, listen, you've been worse than your brothers and sisters of the other 11 tribes yet in the midst of this disobedience and rebellion God calls them to repent he says return to me come back you see they had they had done so a little bit if you if you saw there in verse 6 this is during the reign of Josiah remember Josiah was the first king under whom Jeremiah ministered and that was the uh, last of the good years before Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon. This was this was the best, this was the high point, really, of Jeremiah's ministry. His first few years, where where Josiah was, had rediscovered the law and says, "Let's return back to God," and Josiah turned his heart toward God, but the people did not did not follow suit. They paid lip service. It's interesting, he says in verse ten. He says, Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. You see, they had had followed along. The king was having this, this revival, this renewal of his heart and his walk with God. And so he's telling us to tear down these things. We better tear these things down. He's telling us we need to go worship. We better go worship. They were going through the motions, but their hearts had never really changed. And God says, listen, it's not too late. How many times as God's people have we gone through the motions of repentance? Have we felt badly because we got caught or badly because of the consequences? But there has not been a true heart change. That's the position Judah was in here. They had gone through some of the motions with Josiah's reforms. They had looked good on the outward, but inwardly they had not changed. Yet God calls them back. And I don't have have the... Um, If you're taking notes, I don't have um, the the points on the screen, but the first thing I want to make note of here is that if we're going to talk about repentance, it it starts with God. Repentance begins with a merciful God. Repentance begins with a merciful God. Look at what he says here in verse 12. He tells Jeremiah, "'Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, "'Return, faithless Israel,' declares the Lord. "'I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful.'" declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. He says it again in verse 14, return, O faithless children. Verse 22, return, O faithless sons. The foundation, the starting point for any kind of change in our life is actually not us. It's God. It's a God who calls us to repentance. It's a God who is waiting there with open arms, beckoning us to return to Him. That is the posture and the heart of God. Look at at verse 12. God is not by nature angry. Um, Anger is not one of God's attributes. He responds in anger because of sin, but anger is not part of who he is. He is just and he is righteous and he's holy, all these things that cause him to judge sin. But he's not angry by demeanor. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and we can get that, that picture that God's just walking around ticked off all the time, yelling at the kids to get off his lawn and to straighten up and eat all their vegetables and Reality is, is that God is responding to the sinfulness of man, and in his holiness, he's, he's judging that. But in his heart, he welcomes us with open arms. He says, I return faithless Israel, declares the Lord, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. That word merciful is the, the beautiful Hebrew word has said. We've talked about it before, but it refers to God's never-ending love, his, his covenant loyalty, <clears throat> It's often uh, translated in the Psalms as God's steadfast love. He loves us with this love that never quits, never gives up, never backs down. His love is pursuing the people of Israel, even in their rebellion. He continues to wait with open arms, and he says, return to me. These words remind us of the intimacy that God longs to have with each of us. On your best day, on your worst day, God's posture is still the same. Return to me. He always is there welcoming his children home. I want to ask you this morning have you been running? Have you been turning away from God? Maybe just for a few days or even a few hours. Has your heart been hiding, been running? His posture towards you is return to me. Occasionally I'll meet someone who will say, listen, If you knew my history, if you knew my story, you wouldn't be talking like this. I get it. God's like that with some of you goody Christians that commit your cute little sins and and do little, you know, tell little white lies or commit your little peccadillos or whatever you want to call it, but not the big ones. If you knew what I had done, you would not paint God in this picture. Well, The good news is is that I don't don't have to do the painting. Scripture does the painting. God himself does the painting. He's the one who tells us of his heart. He's speaking to people who have committed just about every abomination imaginable. In his heart posture to them is still, return to me. Come back. There has never been a sinner who has wandered too far. Never anyone who has sinned too greatly. You can't out-sin the grace of God. Good news. God's posture to you and I this morning is the same as to Judah. Return to me. Return to me. He longs to be merciful. Repentance starts with God. Even though it's us who has sinned, it begins with a God who pursues the sinner who is running. Secondly, repentance means turning from sin and rebellion to God in faith. It means turning from sin and rebellion to God in faith. Um, over the years, um, I think well, all my boys at, at different times have played Little League Baseball. And it's fun to watch them at the younger ages when they're still trying to work out the fundamentals. And it's kind of fun. I mean, when, they're, when the pitchers walk like 14 guys in a row, that, that, that loses its, you know, cuteness a little bit there. But... Um, I, it's, it's funny sometimes when you watch a kid who's not paying attention to the third base coach or something, they come rounding second, and they just got their head down, they're barreling, they're going all in, and they look up, and the third baseman's waiting for them with the ball. They weren't watching, they weren't paying attention to where the ball was, and all of a sudden, like, they get about six feet from the base, and they skid to a stop. Uh, and and they, they realize that that kid will probably not make an accurate throw back to second base, and they have a better chance of turning around and going back. Even though they're only a few feet from the bag, they realize that they're probably going to do better by going back. And usually they, they make it back. They have a, the fielders have a perfect chance to get them in a pickle, and they don't do it. We're always better off when we're running <laughs> from God. 100% of the time, it's always best to come to a skidding halt and make an about face and go back. At times, it seems too painful. Teammates might pick on you for not paying attention to the sign. At times, it seems like maybe there's, there's no chance of going back, that you've gone too far. At times, it may seem like the restoration process Truly admitting what we've done will be an embarrassment, will will be just, just too painful. And so, so often we just keep running, we just keep running, trying to find that hiding place, trying to cover up, trying to dig ourselves a bigger hole. It's always the best play to turn back. It's always right to turn around. My son and I went fly fishing last night up uh, by Traverse City in the Boardman. And um, he was uh, was giving me directions on his phone. We were trying to find a a good spot to get in. It would be just really remote. And we turned down this road, and we immediately had this feeling like we probably shouldn't be driving on this with a sedan. Um, And... Yet we didn't heed those, uh, th- those instincts, you know. Like this looks an awful lot like an ATV trail. And um, we discovered after a piece of the car falls off that <laughs> we probably should have listened to our instincts. <laughs> we shouldn't have forged on. And you know, sometimes when we're in the midst of sin... Whatever it is, maybe that sin is still really enjoyable. Or or maybe we just feel like, listen, if if I come clean with this, it's going to affect my family, it's going to affect my church, it's going to affect my coworkers, it's going to affect my reputation. And so we just keep plowing ahead, foolishly. All the while, our God is shouting to us, Come back. It's not worth it. There is destruction down that two track. It only goes one way and it's not the way that you will want to end up. Why don't we listen? Why don't we put on the brakes and turn around? What is it about our hearts that so often we'll keep pursuing that, that sin. Repentance, true repentance, is a turning around. It can mean, one writer says this, it can mean to turn towards someone or to turn away from them, to turn back in repentance or to return physically to a place. This word is used all over the book of Jeremiah, this Hebrew word, return, return. Jeremiah uses it with all these meanings and in a variety of verbal forms, some 15 times in this section alone, which shows us just how passionately God was calling his people back. How about you this morning? Has God convicted you of a sin from which you need to make, like immediately put on the brakes and return to him? Don't keep going down that two-track any longer. He's calling you to make an about face. The third thing I noticed about this passage is it reminded me that repentance requires brokenhearted honesty and humility. It requires brokenhearted honesty and humility. You see, the people of Israel were not there. He says, you guys have come back with pretense. You see, we can, we can take the steps of repentance. I mean, how many times have you met somebody who says, oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again? and then they're right back there. That's not not repentance. Some of us have felt really, really badly about hurting people. Some of us have felt guilty about offending God. Some of us have been broken about consequences that have taken place, but it hasn't stopped us from going back again and again. You see... It's natural for the heart to hide from God. We've been doing it ever since the Garden of Eden. And even those of us who have new hearts, who have been changed by the grace of God, we still give in to those instincts. Cover up, hide, go underground, run. What God calls us to do is to have hearts that are broken over our sin. He says here at the beginning of chapter 4, in fact, I like how uh, the New Living Translation puts it, verse 3 and 4. He says, Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among the thorns. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and power. Change your hearts before the Lord. That's what God is calling us to do, to plow up the ground of our hearts, to stir it up, to bring fresh life, to see our sin from a fresh perspective, from God's eyes. Repentance means not only humbling ourselves, but being honest about where we're at. In verse 20 of chapter 3, he says, Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. goes on to say, truly, in verse 23, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. We said a few weeks ago that the human heart can't, it doesn't even know itself. We can't discern or assess where we're at. Sin blinds. Sin causes veils to be placed over our eyes. We deceive ourselves into thinking that not so bad. Nobody's going to get hurt. What's the big deal? And he says, stop buying in these lies. He says, the hills where they were going to worship their false gods, it's all a delusion. It's all a smokescreen. Don't go there. It's not worth it. Sin means being, I mean, repentance means being honest about our sin. Thank God. I'm going to call this for what it is. This is This is disobedience before you. This is rebellion. This is sin. I'm going to call it what you're calling it. You see, at the end of the day, we're not fooling anybody. We're we're certainly not fooling God. We're not fooling the people around us. Listen, none of us has it all together. I think we've all figured this out by now. That, like, there are other people who were yelling at their kids in the car on the way to church this morning. It's not just me. There are other people who, who neglected reading the scriptures, maybe even for days or weeks. It, it's, it's not just you. Like, I think we all know that what we see from other people on Facebook and on Instagram, we figure this out, right? That that's not real life. That they're showing, showing you the, the best moments, they're showing you the version of them that they want you to see on social media most of us are not not posting um, our prayers of repentance in ways in which we derailed today in ways we blew it uh, in, in the, the, the sin that we've fallen into the ways we've disobeyed God most of us aren't like putting that out there what you see so often what, around you it, it's it's what People want you to see. We can't see hearts like God can. I hope you're here this morning realizing that you're not the only one who who doesn't have it together. We're not fooling anybody. There's no one who's ever lived besides Jesus Christ himself who's without sin. Not Jeremiah, not The Apostle Paul, not Athanasius, not Augustine, not Aquinas, not Wesley, not Edwards, not Calvin, not Billy Graham, not the Pope, not your favorite YouTube preacher has ever been without sin. Not one of us who's ever walked this earth does not need to hear the message of verse 12. Return. Return. Even if it's only a few moments of walking away from God. Even if it's only a few uh, hours of rebellion and disobedience, not one of us doesn't need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, "Jeremiah, come back. Return. Don't go down that path. Don't run from God." And I love the heart of Jeremiah that even even he, the prophet, included himself in the sin of the people. Did you notice that at the end of chapter 3, verse 24, he says, this is him speaking, for from our youth the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our dishonor cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. How easy would it have been for him to look down his nose in pride and in superiority? I'm the prophet here, and you guys are the ones up on the hills bowing down to these statues of stone and precious metal. We don't have any indication that Jeremiah was up there with them doing that. He was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful man of God proclaiming a message. Yet he knew, even despite his obedience to God, that he was still a man who desperately needed the grace of God. Jeremiah was in the same boat as them. He needed God's grace. I don't care whether you have perfect church attendance, whether you've been a a Christian since a little kid, you've never... Never gone on that huge rebellious streak or whatever. I don't, I don't care where you are. There's not a single person among us who doesn't need this message. Return to me. There must be a deep seated conviction that God is a God worth turning back to, that He's better than whatever else you're pursuing. Feeling badly about our sin because the consequences were awful or because we got caught, because the guilt made you uncomfortable, it won't bring the kind of lasting repentance. That God calls us to. We must agree with what Jeremiah says in verse 23. Truly, the hills are a, a, a delusion. Truly, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Repentance is more than contrition. It's turning from sin back to God. And entrusting ourselves to the faithfulness of the forgiving God. This forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. Fourthly, repentance Brings healing. Repentance brings healing. I love verse twenty two. He says, Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. You see, God, God was not begrudging or standing there in a in a judgmental tone, like waiting for Israel to come back so that he could beat them up some more, remind them how awful they were. So often we picture God that way. Like we finally get up the courage and we're finally ready to come crawling back and we're just waiting for him to continue to judge us, to continue to come down on us, to continue to let us know how terrible we've been and how badly we deserve to be held at arm's reach. And and he says, I'm here, and and I want to heal your faithlessness. I want to restore you. I'm not just going to say, yeah, fine, get in. It's all right. He says, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to mend your heart. I long to see you be given new life to restore you. God loves to restore and to heal. Do you see the difference between the, yeah, fine, I forgive you, whatever, and welcome home, my child, let's throw a party. Do you see the difference? They're miles apart. And for many years, I worshiped this God, the God that said, all right, fine, we've been here before, I'll I'll forgive you. But scripture, and and, and it's embodied so clearly in Jesus, tells us that that's that's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship is the God who says, welcome home, my child. The God that goes and pursues that lost sheep. The The God that throws a party and kills the fatted calf for the prodigal son who returns. I don't know where your heart is this morning, but if it's been wandering from God, whether it's... Sin, whether it's apathy, uh, pursuing greed or jealousy, some, some idol that Connor talked about last week, whether you've, you've, you've been entrenched in pornography, whether your anger just ha- has its grip on you, whether you haven't picked up the word of God in a month or two, you can't remember the last time you spent any time in prayer, well, whatever it is, God's arms are open. He says, return to me. And he's he's not gonna kick you to the curb. And he's he's not gonna say, Fine, you can you can pass, but not real happy about it. He he's there waiting to welcome you. His child. He says, Return to me. He longs to heal. Proverbs 28:13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The healing process is not always easy. Being honest with God, and, and oftentimes being honest with others. And so many times our, our sin is not just between us and God, right? It's between us and others. And, and so that, that process can be very painful. But it's always right. Repentance is always right confessing your sin before God and going to others that you've hurt, you've sinned against, it's always right, and it's always going to be good. It may not be easy, but it's always good. The last thing I want to mention is that repentance witnesses. I didn't really know how to word this, but repentance makes a difference because there's always people watching. There's always people involved when we're in community and we sin against one another. We, we, Our kids see us. Whatever it is. People see and are changed and moved when someone is broken hearted over sin and cries out to God for forgiveness and turns from their way. That, may, that has ripple effects. Um, he says in chapter 4 here, he says, uh, If you return, O Israel, verse 1 declares the Lord, if you return to me, if you remove the detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and in justice and in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Do You see what was going to happen if Israel would turn from their error, if they would turn from their sin and come back to God, you know, the other nations were going to be blessed by their repentance. And I believe that that's a principle, not just speaking about Israel and their national repentance. I I believe that holds true for us as individuals. We've talked about this before, but have have you ever gone to your kids and said, listen, I I was wrong. I sinned. Will you please forgive me? We may think, we may fool ourselves into thinking that's weakness. Our kids are going to see chinks in in our armor, and they're going to they're going to think, well, hey, mom and dad are sinners, we can get away with that too. The opposite, the opposite is almost always true. Humility, brokenheartedness, and repentance, it touches people. Think about it. When the last time when you saw someone truly broken over their sin, did you say, what a weak, pathetic individual? I could have gotten away with that. Here they are getting caught and busted. They would have been much better off staying in that sin. Do you ever think that as believers? I, I, I I don't imagine you do. We're moved by it. There's something about honesty that we're touched by. Like, wow, they shared that. They're broken over that. God is working in their life, and it does something to your own heart. I'm not saying that we should go through the motions like some Pharisee trying to, like, uh, I'm a sinner, look at me, I'm repenting over here, you should make note of how spiritual I am. Not not like that. But note that when God is working on your heart and and he calls you back and you repent, you confess sin, people's lives are going to be touched. You're, you're discipling others around you when you do that. Listen, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in, in the laws of logic here, but if, if we're if we're all sinners, um, that means then that we all sin. And if we all sin, we all need to repent at various times, probably various times within the hour. And so why not let other people see that? Why not sit down with your kids during at the dinner table and share? Listen, guys, I, you know, I realize we ought to have wisdom here. You're airing all your dirty laundry with anybody and everybody. But what would, it, what would it, how would it impact your kids if you just said, listen, I was I was praying and reading my Bible this morning, and God just convicted me of the way that I have, I have been so greedy or that I have been uh, so harsh and just, snippety with each of you guys. And I just need to confess that. Or even if it wasn't something you did against your kids, just share like, Listen, this is what God's convicting me of. I promise you, your kids are not going to grow up thinking that you're weak. They're going to see a man or a woman of God who is sensitive to the Spirit of God, who longs to walk with God and is brokenhearted over the sin that God reveals in their heart and life. Repentance witnesses. There's so much more that we could say. You see, this is all made possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in Jeremiah's day, they they understood that there was this one who was coming. Jeremiah would have had the scrolls of Isaiah, and he would have known about this suffering servant. They understood in, in, in sort of a, a fuzzy way that one was coming someday, one from the line of David, who would take away the sins of the world. They didn't have all the, the picture completely colored in at that point, but they understood that... They needed the grace of God, or at least Jeremiah understood, Isaiah understood. Those who were were faithfully turning to God understood that they needed God's grace for forgiveness. Listen, you and I, the offer to be forgiven, it's it's free, it's open to all. God God has taken the first million steps towards us. We need to take that one final step towards him. He's waiting with open arms. I encourage you this morning. If God's not already speaking to you, take time to go before him and say, Lord, I, I want a clean heart. I'll give you two places to start. First one is in, in, our, um, uh, in the handout that, that uh, you would have gotten this morning. If you didn't get one, there'll be one out at the Welcome Center. Um, I just wrote down some, some prayers just ways that we, you can cry out to God and just maybe get, get your heart started on that process. The other place to go, a great, perfect place to go is Psalm 51, the psalm that David wrote after Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. Two great places to, to begin to help help you form the words. If God's Spirit is convicting you this morning, don't, don't ignore Him. If you're here today and you've, You've never gone through a period of repenting before God. If, if, if you're not a child of God yet, he's calling you to himself. He longs for you to come to him. But maybe you're a believer and, and you've been a Christian for one month or one decade or your whole life. And yet you've been hiding away little compartments of your life where you've been okay with this. Or maybe you're just full-on running. There's no hiding anything. You're just on a dead sprint away from God. He's calling you this morning to hit the brakes, to make an about face and come to him. I would love, we're going to have some of our our, uh, leaders here uh, just be up front after we close in prayer. And we would love to be able to pray with you. We'd love to be able to um, encourage you in any way we can. God's calling. He says, return to me. He's waiting with open arms. Never forget that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you. And, and Lord, over these last couple of weeks, we've, we've talked about some, some heavy things regarding the human heart and the heart's propensity to pursue idols, to, to pursue, pursue substitutes of you. Lord God, if you're speaking and convicting this morning, I I pray that we we would not quench the Spirit of God. If you're calling us to turn to you, may we have ears to hear. May we listen. May we repent. This morning, may we turn from our sin, oh God. See it and call it what it is. Rebellion against you. May we turn back to you, this is the one who, whose arms are always wide open. Lord God, thank you that you have a heart of grace and forgiveness and gentleness, a heart that longs to welcome the sinner home, not begrudging acceptance, not half-heartedly doling out your forgiveness. But freely welcoming the broken-hearted sinner home. Lord God, may this be the day that you change a heart in a powerful way. Now may the Savior who has abolished death, may he come to you in your sorrows, stay by your side in the darkness, carry you through your distresses, and give you joy in the morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen.